Hey, my name is Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for checking out this week's message. Uh, I hope that it's encouraging to you and inspiring to you. I hope that it causes you to dive deeper into the scriptures. And I hope that you're able to do that with some people around you, with some community. Um, but if you don't have that, we would love to invite you into the community here at Restore. If you want to take a next step, get more connected, you can just go to restoreaustin.org connect, fill out a card on there, and I will personally reach out to you in the days after you do that. And if you want to grab coffee with me or just get more information about the church, I will make myself available to you for that. As you will hear, we are in this thing called a year around the table, and it really comes from this vision that God's given us that Restore would be a place where anyone has a seat at the table and everyone experiences the extravagant love of Jesus. So A, I hope that you experience the extravagant love of Jesus as you check this message out. And B, if you don't have a table to sit at, we want to invite you to Jesus' table here at Restore. I, uh, I posted on social media this week about how uh, Major, my two-year-old, thinks that the opposite of nobody is yes, buddy opposite of nobody is yes, buddy. Like the other day he said, is yes, buddy coming to my birthday party? Right? He like equates it with everybody, right? Is yes, buddy coming to my birthday party? And later we were waiting for some friends to come over to our house. And uh, he said, when is yes, buddy going to get here? When I posted that, people commented and they shared kind of all the funny words that their kids have come up with. One parent said that their kid says last day instead of yesterday. Um, which Major has done as well. Another uses snowman for boys and snow ma'am for girls, which <laughs> that was pretty good, honestly. I like that. We agreed that snow persons is probably the most politically correct, though. One parent said that their kid thinks the opposite of inappropriate is out-appropriate. Um, I don't know what to do with that one. That one is, I'm not going to make any secondary comments on that. Amy reminded me, we were talking about it, that Major went through a phase where he called it YouTube, when someone else was watching, and then MeTube when he was watching it. That one makes a lot of sense to me. I think I, I'm going to start using that one. You know, kids are kind of able to cut through all the fake pleasantries and societal pressures to say exactly what they mean in a way that adults often can't. You know, the most vivid example of this for me occurred during winter of last year. For a good two months, Major wanted to be the only one who prayed before every family meal. And he said the same prayer every time. Oh, God, amen. <laughs> oh, God, amen. At first, we laughed like you did, right? I thought it was the funniest thing ever. Amy and Judah and I would get so excited before every meal, knowing it was coming, and then we'd just die laughing, right, as soon as he said it. But after a few weeks, I realized that my prayer life was starting to sound a lot like Major's prayer life. We were still kind of reeling last year, right, from the deaths of Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd. We were coming off of a very contentious election and the aftermath that followed. We got hit with the worst winter storm in Texas history, or at least that we've seen in a century, all while still trying to navigate this global pandemic. And desperate circumstances call for desperate prayers. Desperate circumstances often call for desperate prayers. I knew I needed God's intervention in my life and in our world, but I didn't know exactly quite what to ask for. So I prayed something like, oh God, amen, quite a bit during those months. I have a question for you. Have you ever prayed like that? Maybe it was when you were going through a divorce or a really bad breakup. 
you kind of felt abandoned, you felt alone, you were struggling. Maybe it was during deployment. I've talked to a lot of folks over the last few months as everything's been happening in Afghanistan about their deployments, what life was like for them when they were deployed and when they got back how they prayed prayers of desperation for very different reasons while they were over and when they were back, but prayers of desperation nonetheless. Maybe for you it was when you lost somebody that you really loved, somebody that you couldn't really imagine doing life without, and now in a moment you have to. You don't really know what to pray or how to pray at that point. Maybe it's when you were struggling with finances. Maybe you lost a job or maybe you just weren't going to be able to pay for all the things you needed to pay for. Maybe you had somebody depending on you and you didn't know what you were going to do. Maybe it was when you felt really abandoned by someone. People you thought were there for you. People you thought believed in you. People you thought had your back. People you thought understood. And then for some reason, they didn't. For some reason, they abandoned you. Or maybe it was just all the pain and brokenness in our world. At times it can feel too overwhelming. And we're walking through times like these, our prayers often become ones of desperation and dependence. Stuff like, God, I need you. God, help me. God, do something. Things like, oh God, amen. When I'm trying to navigate, when I'm trying to pray especially, During a difficult season of life, I always think of something that the persecutor of Christians turned church planter named Paul wrote to a church he helped start in Rome. He said this, The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Beautiful scripture. The the Holy Spirit, God within us, helps us when we're weak and prays for us when we don't know what to say. It's a really beautiful thing in the midst of a hard time. But here's my question for us this morning. What if we didn't just desperately depend on Jesus when we were struggling? What if we desperately depended on Jesus all the time? Every day, every moment. If you missed last Sunday, we kicked off something called A Year Around the Table. And that's because during this fall and spring, we're going to be walking through what it looks like to put into practice this vision that God has given us, for Restore to be a place where anyone has a seat at the table and everyone experiences the extravagant love of Jesus. So a year around that table. So all together, we're going to discover practical ways to live that vision out in each of our lives and in the life of our church family. And we're going to do this by putting these six measures I talked about last week into practice. These are simply markers of someone who is seated at Jesus' table and doing everything they can to follow him. First one is I depend on Jesus, then I'm a part of the family, then I live invitationally, then I pursue justice for the marginalized, then I look for ways to be generous, and finally I include everyone. So we're going to be doing a teaching series on each of these over the next year, with the exception of the first one, I depend on Jesus. Because depending on Jesus is so important, we actually wanted to start and end our year around the table by looking at it. So today I'm going to talk about it, and then at the end of the year, we're going to do an entire teaching series on it at the end of the spring. Does that sound good? Y'all nod if you're with me. Okay. 
back to our question for this morning. What if we didn't just desperately depend on Jesus when things were really hard? What if we did it all the time? At the risk of sounding trite, desperately depending on Jesus day by day, moment by moment, is everything. It is the foundation upon which all other measures and really the entirety of the Christian life is built. You see, loving God, loving our neighbor, living from our identity in Christ, it all starts with depending on Jesus. With him, we can do anything. Without him, we can do nothing. Jesus said that almost verbatim to his closest friends the night before he died on the cross. So we're going to spend the rest of our time together this morning in John's account of Jesus' life. You can turn there. John chapter 14 is where we'll start. Now, as always, the context here is very important. So Jesus has just shared his last supper with the disciples and is now giving them what many scholars call his farewell discourse. This is the last major teaching time before his death on the cross. He's covering a a myriad of topics, but it mostly centers around promising them hope and giving them instructions for when he's gone. So chapter 14, he promises to send them the Holy Spirit. Here's what he says. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. Listen, for he lives with you and will be in you. He lives with you and will be in you, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I will not leave you as orphans, Jesus says. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. And because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. It's a beautiful promise. Jesus describes the Holy Spirit as his spirit, and he says that through it, he will indwell every believer, Jesus in us and us in Jesus, united together. He continues this line of teaching in the passage that we're going to focus on today. John chapter 15, starting in verse 4, he says this, Abide in me as I abide in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in them will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. There's a popular sentiment among Bible scholars that Jesus did this part of the teaching while on the move. He was actually walking. So remember I said this is in the middle of the farewell discourse. Well, it mostly takes place around that last supper table. They share the meal. Jesus washes their feet first. They share the meal, right? Talks about Judas and betraying and all that. Judas gets up and leaves. This is kind of really dramatic moment. But there's this little break at the very end of chapter 14. Look at the last verse of chapter 14. Come now, let us leave. That's John 14, 31. Come now, let us leave. And in the very next verse, chapter 15, verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Between these two lines, Jesus and his disciples got up from the last supper table and began to make their way toward the Garden of Gethsemane, the place where Jesus would be arrested just a few hours later. So they have this whole part of the farewell discourse around the last, table, the last supper table, and then Jesus says, come now, let us leave. They get up, they start to move, and then he continues this teaching, and it's this teaching about the vine and the branches. So that journey, as they walked toward the Garden of Gethsemane, it would have led them by the temple, right, in the middle of Jerusalem. And that temple would have provided a powerful visual aid for this part of Jesus' teaching. 
In her latest book called Chasing Vines, Beth Moore does an amazing job of describing what it could have looked like that night. Here's what she says. According to some scholars, Jesus might have paused at the temple with his disciples after leaving the upper room before they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. At the entrance to the holy place in the temple, there was a grapevine made of gold, which symbolized Israel. Commentator Gary M. Burge notes that wealthy citizens could bring gifts to add to the vine, gold tendrils, grapes, or leaves, and that these would be added by metal workers to the ever-growing vine. Josephus, that's a second-century historian, claims that some of the grape clusters were the height of a man. In the days of Christ, the wealthy could, in effect, buy their own fruit and have it etched in gold for time and memorial. What a powerful contrast. Up on the temple wall, there is a golden vine only available to the wealthiest people. But humbly walking toward death on a cross is the living vine who makes himself available to everyone. Isn't that incredible? The former, the vine up in the temple, brings prestige to a select few. But the latter, Jesus, brings life abundantly to anyone who wants it. Now, whether Jesus paused at the temple to make this dichotomous illustration or not, I don't know. But the point remains the same. Jesus is the true vine, the true source of life. Everything else is just a poor imitation. So what does it look like to stay connected to the true vine as our source of life? Let's look again at Jesus' words, see if anything stands out. Abide in me as I abide in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in them will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. Five times in two verses, Jesus tells us to abide in him. Now, just as a little Bible clue, when a word is used that many times in rapid succession, pay attention to it. It's important. So what does it mean to abide? Well, in the Message Bible, Eugene Peterson translates the abide in me as I abide in you quote like this. Live in me. Make your home in me, just as I do in you. I love that. It's beautiful. Peterson uses terms like live and home because abide is a word loaded with themes of hospitality. In the days of Jesus, when a weary traveler was passing through a city, barely able to put one foot in front of another, a hospitable homeowner would walk out with a simple invitation, abide. Abide here tonight. This phrase literally translated, stay in the house. It was this invitation to rest and to regain strength. It was an offer of, of food and water and friendship, a warm bed. It was an invitation to stop trying to do everything on your own, even if just for a night, and allow someone else to meet your needs. My friends, this is the same invitation that Jesus is extending to us, except it's not just for one night. And it's not only when we're tired and when we're struggling. Jesus invites us to abide in him and have our needs met by him every moment of every day. Can I be just honest with you guys for a second? You nod. Some of you are like, absolutely not. Don't do that. I don't buy into this God helps those who help themselves ideology. Like, honestly, I think it's pretty close to the exact opposite of what Jesus is teaching here. 
God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps those who realize they can't. God doesn't help those who help themselves. He helps those who realize that they can't and turn to him and ask for help. The myth of self-sufficiency is the enemy of abiding in Christ. It's also the enemy of living in community with your sisters and brothers in Christ. But that's a truth that we're going to talk about a lot in our next series about being a part of the family of God. But here's the thing. None of us are self-made. No one has big enough bootstraps to pull themselves up without some help. I had a professor in seminary who once said, there is no such thing as a self-constructed life. There is only being in Christ where there is the nothingness that others create for us. We cannot self-construct a life. If you think you got to where you are today without the grace of God and the help of people around you, you are living in a fantasy world. We need Jesus and we need each other. We were never designed to do this alone. Depend on yourself at your own peril. Refuse to abide in Christ to your own demise. Choosing not to abide in Jesus makes as much sense as ignoring the invitation of a hospitable homeowner when you are a weary traveler. It makes as much sense as collapsing in the street because you are so tired instead of falling into a warm bed. Don't be too proud. Don't be too self-reliant to admit that you need some help. Because Jesus makes it really clear, doesn't he? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Without him, we can't do anything of value, anything that truly matters. Because without being connected to the vine, the branches wither and die. This teaching from Jesus is an invitation to a permanent state of dependence on him, not just when we're struggling. You ever heard that phrase, there's no atheists in foxholes, right? That everybody's crying out to God when things get really bad? That's great. I'm, I'm all for desperate prayers during desperate times, but man, we need Jesus a lot more than those times. We need him every moment of every day. So how do we do this? What does abiding in the vine and depending on Jesus really look like? Well, as I've already kind of insinuated, it starts with humility. It starts with recognizing that true weakness comes from relying on our own strength, and that true strength comes from placing our weakness in the hands of Jesus and relying on his strength. See, Paul understood this as well as anyone. He wrote about it in his letter to the church in Corinth. He said, he, God, said to me, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and the insults and the hardships, persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. Because when I am weak, then I am strong. When we are weak, we are actually strong. This is a formula that only works in the kingdom of God. So that's the first step to a life of dependence. Humbly realizing our inability to be self-sufficient. We can't do it all on our own. And asking Jesus for help. That's number one. Number two, and the final step, is simply to follow after Jesus. Allow him to lead you in anything and everything that you do. Now, this one's a lot harder to describe and prescribe. Because we really don't have like an exact science for what this looks like. 
for every single person. My, my old pastor and mentor, Pete, he used to always say that it's more like a dance than a march. You see, in a march, we all get the exact same orders, right? And we're supposed to execute them exactly the same way. So if we have the same marching orders, I can look over at you and I can tell you if you're doing it right or wrong. Anybody ever experienced that from a fellow Christian? <laughs> Maybe once or twice. But that's not what the Christian life really is. It's not a march. It's a dance. Dancing is different. Because when we dance, we all hear the same music, right? But everyone's response is a little bit different. Everyone's relationship to their dance partner is a little bit different. That means I can't give you the exact steps to take. But I can tell you what the results are supposed to look like. Let's go back to Jesus' words in the passage one more time. Whoever abides in me and I in them will bear much fruit. Jesus says, if you do this, if you abide, if you depend on me, you will bear much fruit. If you are living your life in dependence on Jesus, you will see fruit come out of your life. And thankfully, we don't have to wonder what a fruit-filled life looks like because Jesus keeps on teaching. Verse 8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Keep my commands. He says, what are his commands? Jesus says, my command is this, love one another as I have loved you. You want to bear fruit? Keep my commands. What are my commands? Love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. One more time, just in case you missed it. This is my command. Love one another. Want to have a fruit-filled life, Jesus asks? Love one another. He says it twice, just to make sure no one misses it. This is the essence of what a fruit-filled life is supposed to look like. Receiving the deep love of God and then sharing it with anyone and everyone that we encounter. I love how Beth puts it in that book that I mentioned earlier. She says this, Love God, love one another, love your neighbor, love your enemy, that about covers it. In Christ's meticulous census, the community exempt from the love of Christians has a population of exactly zero. We need that one again. I'm going to read it again. In Christ's meticulous census, the community exempt from the love of Christians has a population of exactly zero. Love God. Love people. That's what we're here to do. Without love, all fruit is plastic. I love every part of that quote. Mama Beth, she gets me every time. But that last line is especially good. Without love, all fruit is plastic. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Paul said, if I have not love, I have nothing. 
depending on Jesus, will always yield the fruit of love that lasts forever. And depending on ourselves, yields plastic fruit. It's good for nothing. The fruit of love is what we're going to spend the next year talking about together. During our year around the table, we're going to discover and put into practice what it looks like to depend on Jesus and love people the way that he calls us to. Because I love that Jesus wasn't ambiguous about what love means. Remember he said, love one another, but he didn't stop. Remember what he said after that? As I have loved you, fully, sacrificially laying our lives down for one another. That's what love looks like. We don't get to make it up or define it for ourselves. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. Next week, we begin our first series in this year, and it's all about what it means to be a part of the church family, what it means to live and love each other as siblings. I can't wait. I'm so excited about it. I know things are difficult right now. I know that we are navigating a unprecedented world. I was, saw a tweet the other day that was like, I'd love to live in some precedented times for once. <laughs> I'm tired of living in unprecedented times. I get it, man, I do. I feel it. My encouragement to you is this. Do not lean on your own strength. Lean on Jesus and lean on each other. God has placed you in communities, placed you around people and your families and your friendships for a reason because we're not meant to do this alone. So next week, we're going to kick off that series, talk about what it really looks like to lean on and love each other. So I hope you join us for that. Let me pray, and I'm going to invite the band back up. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for uh, just the clarity of your scriptures. You told us, God, to depend on you. You made yourself available to us every moment of every day. God, I know the hearts of the people in this room, the people watching online. I know that our hearts are to love people well and to love you well. And so I pray that we would not try to do that in our own strength. That we would lean on you, that we would depend on you especially as we venture into the rest of this year, God, as we talk about what it looks like to to look for ways to be generous and to live invitationally and to, to be a part of a family and to pursue justice for the marginalized, to include everyone. As we talk about what that looks like, God, I pray that we would not forget that all of it starts with depending on you, that your power is made perfect in our weakness. God, help us to lean on you in everything that we do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.